We know his voice. We know about his bulldog tenacity. But do we know about Winston Churchill's quiet work of leadership? Hey, welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. Now, it's summertime, and I try to take a little time each summer to work my way through a portion of Winston Churchill's six-volume history of the Second World War. It's outstanding. And so when I noticed that Audible offered an unabridged recording of Volume 3, The Grand Alliance, I was stoked. But then, the closer I looked, I saw the recording was just nine hours, and I'm a little suspect. You see, the book is almost a thousand pages, and I said it can't be truly unabridged, and it wasn't. Um, In fact, it's not only not unabridged, it's a boomerang recording that skips all over the place and actually jumps between Volume 3, The Grand Alliance, and Volume 4, The Hinge of Fate. Now, despite that, it is a spectacular recording. Just don't try to do what I did, which is go back and match the recording to the written page. It will take you hours. All right, all of that aside, my first aha moment, and there are always many, when it comes to Winston Spencer Churchill, has to do with what I call the quiet work of leadership. I think this is a very important reminder for all of us who lead. You see, we often picture leadership as standing in the front, building teams, getting strategic, offering direction, rallying the troops. And it is. It's all of that. But it's just as much, if not more, quietly pondering, patiently enduring, and silently wrestling, as we shall see in the life of Winston Churchill. So let me set up the clip I'm going to play for you in just a minute. The year is 1941. America has just entered the war, though we had been lending help to Great Britain for some time. America's wrath is set upon Japan, and Churchill is afraid that the U.S. just might pull back supplies it had been directing toward England and redirect them toward Japan and the Pacific, leaving Great Britain to battle it out in Europe and the Middle East all alone. And Churchill's afraid he's going to lose some of his supplies. So Churchill says this, get this, it's just amazing. Churchill says, he writes, We must presume that America first would become the dominant principle with our ally. And I read that and I got a kick out of it. So Trump is not the first to use that language. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, back to the context. Russia, once England's enemy, is now becoming an ally to Great Britain, albeit a frustrating one at this point in the war. And Churchill ever hoping for America to enter the war on a grand scale, takes a trip to the U.S. in December of 1941 to meet with President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and to address Congress. Now, Churchill, he has British munitions and aircraft on his mind, and as he travels the stormy seas in the battleship Duke of York, Churchill is musing on the insight of his Minister of Supply, Lord Beaverbrook, who realizes that the resources of the U.S., man, they haven't even been scratched, and and that the U.S. doesn't realize the strength that they possess in the production field. And in light of that, Beaverbrook says, Mr. Churchill, there's going to be plenty of ammunition for everyone. Now, in light of that, 
Listen to what Churchill writes. All these considerations paled before the main strategic issue. Should we be able to persuade the President and the American service chiefs that the defeat of Japan would not spell the defeat of Hitler, but that the defeat of Hitler made the finishing off of Japan merely a matter of time and trouble? Many long hours did we spend revolving this grave issue. The two chiefs of staff and General Dill, with Hollis and his officers, prepared several papers dealing with the whole subject and emphasizing the view that the war was all won. As will be seen, these labors and fears both proved needless. The eight days' voyage, with its enforced reduction of current business, with no cabinet meetings to attend or people to receive, enabled me to pass in review the whole war as I saw and felt it in the light of its sudden vast expansion. I recalled Napoleon's remark about the value of being able to focus objects in the mind for a long time without being tired. Fixer les objets longtemps sans être fatigué. As usual, I tried to do this by setting forth my thought in typescript by dictation. In order to prepare myself for meeting the President and for the American discussions, and to make sure that I carried with me the two Chiefs of Staff, Pound and Portal, and General Dill, and that the facts could be checked in good time by General Hollis and the Secretariat, I produced three papers on the future course of the war as I conceived it should be steered. Each paper took four or five hours, spread over two or three days. As I had the whole picture in my mind, it all came forth easily, but very slowly. In fact, it could have been written out two or three times in longhand in the same period. As each document was completed, after being checked, I sent it to my professional colleagues as an expression of my personal convictions. Did you catch those words? Churchill writes about the necessity of being able to focus objects in the mind for a long time without being tired. And then he says, and each paper took four or five hours. And then he writes of the picture coming together, quote, very slowly. And that, my friends, is the quiet work of leadership. It is thinking, musing, planning, writing, wrestling, often alone. In other places in this book, Churchill writes of the leader's quiet work. He says, in one place, many long hours did we spend revolving this grave issue. And in another place, he writes, I spent a good part of Christmas Day preparing my speech to the Congress of the United States. And then again, he writes, the days passed, counted in hours. Quite soon, I realized that immediately after Christmas, I must address the Congress of the United States and a few days later, the Canadian Parliament in Ottawa. These great occasions imposed heavy demands on my life and strength and were additional to all the daily consultations and mass of current business. In fact, I don't know how I got through it all. Now, what was the outcome of all this quiet work? Well, while it didn't single-handedly win the war, it definitely helped set the stage for greater cooperation between the U.S. and Great Britain, and it moved both nations toward ultimate victory in World War II. So my very simple question today is, are you, like Winston Churchill, 
taking time for the quiet work of leadership. Particularly, what issue do you need to think through in order to resolve? What thoughts do you need to put down on paper? And what ideas do you need to pass on to others for consideration? Churchill was a master of words. We know that. But he was also a master of musing, taking time for the quiet work of leadership. And that's my thought on my walk with Winston Churchill and the Grand Alliance, Volume 3 of the Second World War. Now, my question is, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today? Hey, if you get some time, stop over at onmywalk.com and you can read my most recent review uh, of a book by William Barclay entitled Fishers of Men, a fascinating little volume, so important for teachers and preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can check that out as well as one that I have coming up soon on LBJ's 1968. It's going to be fascinating as well. 